Thank you, Sean and Christine, for blessing us with your gifts. Good morning. So I love watching sports. It's just, it's always been in my blood. And one of the events that I love watching is the World Cup, which uh, is that global event that's every four years. It's going on right now where the best soccer teams on the planet get together and uh, see who's the best. So other than the soccer itself, which I love, uh, one of the things that I love about the World Cup is all the pageantry that comes along with it in these stadiums. Uh, I just love seeing uh, all the different fans of the, the different countries and the, the colors that they have on and, and the songs that they sing and, and the chants that, that go on throughout the game. It's always such a, a neat you know, part for me of, of watching this event. And I think part of what makes these songs and these chants so great is uh, the, the joy that's expressed uh, by these fans as they, they do it, just watching their, their team play, representing their countries. I also think that there is the anticipation, right, that comes with it. After all, it is only every four years. Um, and for some countries, like Canada, for example, this year had not been in the World Cup since the 1980s. Um, so sometimes it's been decades since a country's team has been represented. So there's just that joy and that anticipation um, on the fans' faces as they sing these songs. So last week we began a sermon series on the songs of Advent, and we looked at Mary and her song and how God came to Mary, and even in the difficulty of the Jewish people's situation and Mary's own personal situation, she demonstrated great faith in God who called her to be the mother of Jesus. And she expressed that joy uh, in that song, praising God for who he is and what he had done and was doing. So today we look at a similar song, and for that, we will turn now to God's word. The passage this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. So please follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. And this is God's word. It is living and active. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have revealed. And we ask this morning that you would reveal to us uh, the truth uh, and beauty and holiness of your good word. Uh, speak through me, Father, that ultimately uh, it would be your words that we would hear uh, through the help of your Holy Spirit. So we pray this in your name. Amen. So we have here a song of Zechariah, but we, we ask ourselves, who was this man, Zechariah? And so to do that, to get a little bit of the background of who he was, uh, we can look uh, at the previous chapter, the first chapter in Luke, and in verses 5 through 25, we get a little bit of an idea of who Zechariah was. He was a priest, and his wife was Elizabeth, who was a daughter of a priest, or a PK, right, as pastor's kids are uh, sometimes referred to. And Luke tells us that they were both righteous before God and blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that they were sinless, right? No one is, but that they were people of integrity who lived faithfully for God. There was a, a wholeness about their lives. Luke also tells us that they were older in years, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. So this reality would have been difficult for them to deal with. After all, children were seen as a reward for that, that faithful whole living. So one day, Zechariah the priest uh, enters the temple, uh, and he enters the temple to, to do one of the, the priestly tasks that priests were assigned to. And uh, the duty was to burn incense. And this was seen as a very, very special privilege for a priest. Most priests would only do this once in their lifetimes, and some priests never even got the chance to burn incense. So this was a, a very big day for Zechariah. So he goes into the temple, and what does he see but an angel standing next to the altar? Probably not what he was expecting to see. Naturally, he becomes afraid, but the angel says to him, do not fear that the Lord had heard his and Elizabeth's prayer and that a son would be born to them. He would be named John, and through John, many in Israel would turn to God. So after the angel speaks these words, Zechariah questions how this could be. After all, they were up there in years. We might think of Abraham and, and Sarah in their situation. And then the angel responds with these words from Luke 1. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And then Gabriel, the angel, does something rather surprising. He, he says to Zechariah, because you did not believe my words, that you will be mute until this promised baby is born. So it's through this period where Zechariah is mute, and perhaps he was deaf, something that deafness could also have been a part of, of this rebuke. We don't know for sure. But it's in this period that, that God disciplines Zechariah, but his being mute was also a sort of a sign, and as one commentator puts it, a, an assurance of the promises that were to come. And it reminds us that God often works in unconventional ways, that he is a God who surprises and reveals his power and salvation through the unlikeliest of characters, such as Mary and Zechariah. So we fast forward to when John, this promised baby, is born, and once again, Zechariah can speak, 
So imagine not being able to speak for months and months and then you have your speech again. And what does he do but expresses himself in this song? Very much a psalm of thanksgiving and praise unto God, similar to to what Mary did when she expressed her song. And the word in verse 68, blessed, is that marker of of praise and, and thanksgiving that Zechariah offers. And then something key here that Luke tells us in this, in this text, in verse 67, he said that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is something that is repeated uh, in chapter 1. We see that John the Baptist, the promised baby, would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, was also filled with the Holy Spirit. So this tells us that these weren't merely just the feelings and sentiments that Zechariah was expressing, but he was being divinely directed to speak these words. So we look at this song, and we can really divide it up into two parts. And even among these parts and throughout the song, there are words and ideas that are repeated. So the first part that we will look at this morning in Zechariah's song is that God has redeemed his people. Zechariah says that the Lord has visited his people. And this idea of God visiting is a common theme throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes God visits in judgment. Sometimes God visits in grace. And here, Zechariah has God's visiting in grace. And there is redemption. And it is that anticipation of God's people over so many years that Zechariah expresses here, that God's promises to generation after generation after generation are finally starting to be realized. Uh, Listen to the words of the psalmist taken from Psalm 130, 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The Lord will bring forgiveness of sins, bind back his people with a cost. Zechariah also speaks of a a horn of salvation, as you see in verse 69. So what is a horn here? Uh, A horn can mean different things, right? But here we think of a, a powerful beast, maybe such as a rhinoceros or an ox. And the horn, you know, for these powerful beasts represents strength. So these ideas of strength, of of refuge, of a fortress are described here. Do you see the Lord as having absolute strength? The promised Messiah would not be some passive kind of of hippie uh, preaching pacifism, but one who would possess strength and authority and comes to rescue us from bondage. Zechariah also uh, utters the words uh, in the house of, of David. So for the Jewish people, David was a huge figure uh, as we look at the Old Testament. So Zechariah is proclaiming that a Messiah has come from David's own line who will occupy the throne in a much greater way than even King David did. Another idea that we see repeated uh, throughout the song is salvation from enemies. 
in verses 71 and 74. So how should we view this salvation from enemies? Is it purely in some spiritual kind of sense? Well, many commentators agree that uh, we do a disservice to the passage if we don't think of this in an earthly sense also. After all, God's purpose in delivering his people in the great Exodus event was so that they would worship him right there on earth. So there is an aspect of enjoying earthly security uh, that Zechariah expresses here, salvation from enemies, so that in verse 74, God's people might serve him without fear. As one commentator puts it, enemies can look like different things, right? We think about enemies, and even for the Jewish people at the time, you know, we heard last week uh, about the Roman people and how they were oppressing the Jewish people in certain ways. So even for a Jewish person at that time, you know, enemies could have been something even beyond the, the Romans. And we think about ourselves today, and while we might not be under direct physical threat from an enemy, we can still look out in our world and see that enemies can, can take on different looks and meanings. So how wonderful it is that God saves his people from their enemies so that they can serve him. And we think of ourselves here today, and you know, we, we come here not just to see our friends, although that's a good part of, of gathering for worship, certainly that fellowship that God brings, uh, that's a wonderful aspect of it. But ultimately, we are here to worship God. Zechariah also speaks of mercy and mercy that was promised to the fathers of old. And one of these fathers was Abraham. You might be thinking of the Father Abraham song, right? Uh, and Abraham was a, a massive figure in the Old Testament, being the recipient of covenant promises laid out in Genesis. And these promises that God gave to Abraham would be of numerous descendants and land, and that Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to the whole earth. So we must reflect daily on this mercy of God, this loyal covenant love of God, his hesed, to borrow the Hebrew word, that just as God called Abraham out of a pagan nation to know him and serve him and to be a blessing, God does the same with us, calling us out from a life of sin and idolatry into a life of blessing and serving him. Zechariah also reminds us that God remembers his covenant. Lest we forget, the nation of Israel was the original recipient of the covenant of fellowship with God, of worship, of the promises. So God called Israel to be a people unto himself. God does the same with us today. We today are God's special covenant people. But what does it mean exactly that God remembers? Um, that, that God suddenly brings to mind things that he had spoken of and forgot? Well, certainly that's not the, the meaning of, of God remembers, as if God struggles with memory, right, that we sometimes do. But when God remembers, it means that God acts. He brings to fulfillment that which he has promised. So then we come to the second part of this song, 
And in verse 76, Zechariah shifts his voice a bit and speaks directly to this child that Gabriel the angel had promised to Zechariah. So we consider the second part of the song, the prophet of the Most High. This child John that was promised by God in his grace, he would be a prophet, but not the prophet. He would come to prepare the way for a greater prophet, that of Jesus. John's work would be to give knowledge of salvation to God's people, as you see in verse 77, to preach forgiveness of sins, that there really is a way to truly deal with the guilt of our sins before a holy God. And then in the second part, we see the repetition of God's mercy. And from the English Standard Version, uh, the adjective tender mercy, God's compassion. It's a theme that runs throughout the book of Luke. And commentator Joel Green writes about later on in the book of Luke that Jesus will identify mercy as the primary motivation behind God's activity. God's tender mercy. God gives lights. You know, we see light spoken of here in the second part of Zechariah's song. There's something that is powerful about light, isn't there? Uh, we think of this time of year and the various displays of light that we see in people's homes or outside their homes or as we go around town. There is something that draws us in about light, is there not? I mean, even as we look at a few candles that are burning, light has an attractiveness to it. Likewise, we think of darkness and there's something about darkness that is troubling, that is ominous. Think of a time that you were in darkness in some way and all you yearned for was to be in the light. Well, here Zechariah proclaims that God gives light to those who sit in darkness, who sit in spiritual darkness, which is bondage to sin and to Satan, to be saved from death, physical death, spiritual or final death. Once again, uh, the words from Isaiah 9, as we have, have heard this morning earlier in our service, uh, Isaiah the prophet writes in verse 2 of chapter 9 that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So we go back to that time, and the context of that time was, was exile and the enemy of the Babylonians and the people wanting to be delivered from exile. And so we see in this verse uh, an expansion and a looking forward to someone who would bring about a greater deliverance even than God delivering his people from exile. So light, uh, light is, is God's presence, it is God's blessing. And we ask the question, how is it that we can be brought from darkness to light? We think again of this season and the different traditions uh, that come with Christmas time or other holidays, and we all have different traditions, right? Uh, growing up uh, in our families, 
And no one tradition is necessarily right or wrong, right? It's, it's more or less up to each family to decide about these traditions, you know, when to celebrate, how to celebrate. And I think uh, myself growing up and our family uh, developed this tradition when I was in middle school uh, of opening gifts on Christmas Eve. Uh, we just did it one year and, and I think we realized that we all enjoy that. And, uh, you know, some find it odd, but um, we all just enjoyed uh, doing that rather than on Christmas morning. But there are not many different ways to be brought into this light, to be saved. To be rescued from darkness means that we must look outside of ourselves to be delivered from the guilt of our sin that justly brings God's condemnation. And so we hear the words spoken of in John 8:12 from Jesus himself where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So it is as we look to Jesus, as we follow Jesus, as we believe that he came to live a perfect life for us and died sacrificially on the cross for us, that we can have this light, we can be in this light. And so the Christian life, uh, it can be described in different ways. Sometimes, you know, people describe it as a, a life of uh, righteous or ethical living, and certainly that is an aspect of it. But in a very fundamental way, the Christian life is about transformation, about being brought from darkness to light. And though we may be in this light, united to Christ, life can still be filled with difficulties and setbacks. Any number of life situations can fill us with disappointment or pain or fear, a work situation or a relationship that's on edge or just something that is a good thing that we desire so strongly and are waiting for. At times we find ourselves overcome with with feelings of helplessness and wondering what will happen next. A passage such as Zachariah's song here can remind us of who God is and what he has done. Uh, I love how commentator Ralph Davis says it. When speaking of Zachariah's situation, he says that God does his most impressive works in a context of impossibility. This wonderful truth leads us to have confidence and trust in God that he does know what he is doing, that life's difficulties Things that we probably would not choose for ourselves are meant to drive us to God and that his timing, though not always what we desire, truly is the best. Do you believe this about God? So a couple of days ago, I was watching one of these World Cup games and uh, it was between Croatia and Brazil. Sorry if you're a Brazil fan, but... Um, but the game was 0-0 for much of the game, and very late in the game, Brazil scored a pretty amazing goal, uh, appearing to secure a win for them. However, Croatia, uh, in the waning minutes, would score maybe more of an impossible goal themselves, tying the game, and they would eventually go on to win the game in a, a penalty kick shootout. So afterwards, uh, of course, the Croatian fans were 
in utter jubilation at how this game unfolded and the victory that their team secured. Well, here in this song, Zechariah praises God for his mighty acts in humanly impossible situations. I imagine that in this moment, as Zechariah is, is uttering this song, that he's filled with just uncontainable jubilation as he praises God. Brothers and sisters, we should be filled with such jubilation as we contemplate a great God who has redeemed us through Jesus, his son, the savior who has come to bring us true peace. Praise be to God. Let's pray.